Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. We're on live 8 to 10 a.m. Thursday through Sunday. This is our first day of our week. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, legendary Hall of Fame boxing writer Jack Hirsch. As we're on live, Real Crew TV, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, we're all over the place, Jack. And today we got a busy lineup for a Thursday. Normally it's just me and you, but today we have Carter, our NHL analyst, being about 8.30 going over there. NHL playoffs. We have on Danny Gonzalez, welterweight fighter, who will be fighting uh, at is it Conaseca Hall at St. John's University in the main event this Saturday evening. Yeah, so you know, a welterweight in a very tough division, probably the most explosive division in boxing right now, so we'll get some of his thoughts on his bout coming up, the welterweight division, all kinds of stuff. And we also got another Gonzalez, Jason Gonzalez, Kind of a horse racing expert. We're going to have him on Saturday's debate show about 9 a.m. But we're going to have him in as sort of a a, a, a prelude to what's good. we're going to talk about the Kentucky Derby. I want to get some questions answered. Wait, wait, wait. You mean the last hour we have two guests with the last same last name, Gonzalez? Exactly. The last hour. I mean, that could be a first anywhere. That could be that could be a, a new high in sports, Jackson. I tell you, we got it covered today, Mac. Guests, hockey, boxing, horse racing. Yeah, yeah. Just just the whole gambit, Jack. We got the whole gambit today. So, folks, welcome to the show. We're going to start off, of course, with the NBA playoffs. Um, if you look at it, uh, um, it's been pretty exciting for the most part. Some games have been very exciting. But right now in the, in the West, the Suns are up two to nothing. Uh, Booker and Paul took over the game last night. Uh the Dallas team really only has Luka, and that's it. Uh, the Grizzlies, Jack, tied the series at 1-1 with Jay Morantz, uh, scoring 47 points and being very physical with the Warriors. Um, so what do you think about the West so far, Jack? Do you have the Suns taking care of business uh, pretty quickly with the Mavericks and maybe the Grizzlies and the Warriors being that who knows who's going to win kind of thing? It's gone the way I expected. The Suns survived the scare against the New Orleans Pelicans. And the reason it was a scare, because Devin Booker was out. So that was a problem. But they beat him in six games. And so the, the Pelicans kind of scuffed the Suns a little bit. But no harm done. The Suns are back in form. Uh, they're up 2 nothing against Dallas. And he, Jason Kidd said it best. They need more than Luka to beat the Suns. But Dallas isn't going to come back and win four out of the next five. They're more likely to get swept. And the series between Golden State and the Memphis Grizzlies is one game apiece. It doesn't surprise me. I never thought that was going to be a walkover for Golden State. That's going to be a tough, hard-fought series. Eventually, Golden State is probably going to prevail and that's going to set up a nice showdown in the West between Golden State and Phoenix. And I'll go on record right now with saying that Phoenix is going to win that series and be back in the finals. So, so in the East right now, Miami's up two to nothing. Of course, Embiid missed the first two games. I don't know if it would have matter if he played or not. Uh, Miami's still a great team, but it sure has hurt them, right? I mean, last night. They go into Philadelphia. Uh, the both guards, uh, not both guards, but the. Let me see if I'm reading this right. 
they get a uh, uh, 119-103 win over Philly. Um, you know, even with Tyrese Maxey picking, picking up a little slack, um, you know, Miami can beat them low. They can shoot from the outside. And pretty much um, Philadelphia stuck from the outside. They got no big man at all. A bio is, is just kind of tearing up the inside right now for, for, uh, for Miami, Jack. Well, I, you know, you say Miami's a great team. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but they were the number one. Listen, they were the number one seed in the East. They are the number one seed in the East. A couple of years ago, they did go to the NBA Finals and they took the Lakers to six games. So maybe some of us are, oh, un, you know, underrating Miami a little bit. But with that said, watching the game yesterday against the Sixers, I actually felt sorry for the Sixers. All those hopes of an NBA title are basically down the drain. At least it feels that way. The only hope I can give to the Sixers is last year's NBA champions, the Milwaukee Bucks, were in a similar position in the playoffs against the Nets. They were down two games to none. They had got just gotten blown out, and it looked like, they were hopeless cause, yet they came back and won the series in seven games. If Embiid should be able to return soon, he's a big difference maker for the Sixers. But you know what hurts the most with the Sixers, not just this season, the thinking of next season, is James Harden. He's just not the same player he even was a year ago. <clears throat> what Maybe it's the hamstring issue that he's never regained his form Whatever it is, he's not the same player. He's a good player, a very good player in the sense that he can score his 20 to 25 points a game. He can maybe get his 10 assists a game, but he's just not the type of player who's going to make a major, major impact during a game. He's no longer one of the best players in the NBA and without that, I mean, where does that leave the Sixers? I mean, when they got Harden, they got Harden with the idea they're getting another superstar to accompany Joe Lambeed, and Harden's just not that. He reminds me of a runner, Mac. In the latest stages of a race, he's just slowing down. He's kind of like hit a wall. Can he hold on? That's the question. But Harden seemed to hit a wall in his whole career, and it doesn't mean for one given game he can't turn it up a notch, but he's not the biggest difference maker. The way that series looks to me right now, Mac, it could get ugly. They're going back to Philadelphia down two games to none. I wouldn't be shocked if Miami won the next two in Philadelphia and swept them in four games. And imagine how ugly that's going to look. You know, one game ago, when they were down one nothing, Doc Rivers was exasperated because the Sixers weren't doing what he was saying on the court. They weren't lined up in the right places. He was yelling. He was shouting. They just weren't functioning as a unit. And Doc Rivers was blaming his players for not getting it together. But sometimes he got to wonder, Mac, isn't it the coach's job to be sure they do what he says? And if they can't do what he says, empty your bench. Go to your 10th and 11th man and even play him over some of your starters if your starters can't do what you're telling them to. I mean, I don't know, Jack. I think they're stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. I don't, I, I, like I said, even if MB was playing Jack, this would be a tough fought series. 
And uh, either team could have won that, not in this series, in my opinion. I think the, the Heat are that good. But without Embiid, if he don't play, if he doesn't play the next game, which I have a feeling he'll be out there, you know, with a mask and and whatever he needs to do to play, I, I have a feeling he'll be there. But will he be 100%? That's the question. And and uh, we shall see, man. It's, Let me tell you, I have a bit of concern, Mac, about Embiid. Not so much this year and the Sixers getting eliminated. Embiid seems to have gotten to the point where other superstars have gotten with the team where he's fed up. He might be getting to the point where he's demanding a trade. He just wants out of Philly. First, he had Ben Simmons, who was supposed to be his sidekick. That didn't work out. Now he has James Harden. And I have no clue how he feels about Harden personally. But it might become apparent to Embiid, I'm not winning a championship with Harden, you know, right next to me. And like you say, look, Maxie's potentially an emerging star. Potentially. We don't know yet. He's had some good games. The jury's still out. But maybe Embiid's saying, I just want to go somewhere else finally. And he demands that the Sixers trade him. And, of course, they're going to push back in the beginning and they're not going to want to trade him. But as we know in this league, if superstars want out bad enough, they can force the issue. Well, we'll see what happens with all that. Um, so we look at the Celtics. The Celtics come back. They get a lot more physical uh, with Giannis. Uh, the threes were just flowing. Uh, Brown was playing out of his mind in the first half. Tatum picks it up. I mean, the Celtics do have a very good team. I'm, I'm on the verge of saying almost great to bounce back like that. Um, listen, I think this is any one series. I think, you know, they're going to go back. Uh, they're going to back to uh, 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 the Bucks. Right. But they did take one game. So the, the, the series is in their hand. I mean, I think this series goes seven. <laughs> Mac, I hate when people talk about, oh, they regain home court advantage by winning. That is stupid talk to me. It's a short series. Give me the game. Tell me a team – is up one nothing, or are they even the series? I don't want to hear about regaining home court advantage. Uh, listen, Milwaukee won game one decisively against Boston because Boston had been playing so well for so long. It was inevitable they would just have a off night, a terrible game. That happened in game one. Milwaukee trounced them. Boston answered in the second game. So now it's best three out of five. So as far as I'm concerned, the series is beginning. Ultimately, I think Boston wins this. I think, you know, minus Giannis, they're a little better overall team. And keep in mind, Chris Middleton is out for Milwaukee this series. And that's going to be a that's – a, that's a difference maker. When you have your second or third best player on the team who has to sit out the series – I mean, that that affects the team. I, I think it's going to go down to the why. I think you might be looking at a seven-game series here, and I, and I like Boston to ultimately prevail. Okay, so we'll see what happens. I think that's going to be one of the more exciting series uh, in, the, in the first round anyway. So let's get, let's get to the MLB standings uh, early, as I said before. Uh, but um, we're going to look at some of uh, who's where – and where they're at in the East, AL East, the Yankees are 18 and 7. The Blue Jays and the Rays are both over 500, followed by the Red Sox and Royals. 
West Angels are 16 and 10. Astros are 14 and 11, followed by Seattle, Texas, and Oakland. Uh, in the National League Central, Brewers 17 and 8. The Cardinals uh, right behind them with 14 wins behind, be followed by Pittsburgh, Chicago, and the Reds were 3 and 21. Wow. East Mets 18 and 9. 3 and 21. I, that's the only team I would severely worry about at this point. Wow. 3 and 21, Mac. Mac, you know what that means, Mac? Let me do a little division for you. Were you good at school in division when you had math, Mac? Were you that, was, that was pretty. Division means they have lost seven, seven out of eight games. Every eight games they play, they've lost seven. That is brutal. Yeah, and, and the Reds, a couple of years ago, they were talking about them being one of the – They won the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Playoffs? Yeah. Don't talk to me about playoffs. Remember one that the, Jamora clip? Yes, I do. One of the better uh, one of the better teams a couple of years ago, people had a, a lot of thoughts that they were going to move up. And the East, the Mets are 18-9, followed by the Marlins, Braves, and Phillies, Nationals. And the West, the Dodgers at 16-7. and seven. The uh, Padres are 16 and 9. In fact, every team in that division is 500 or better. No one's on the 500. Even Arizona's at 500 yeah. in last place. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, good division, good quality over there. Yeah. You know, so, certain teams are going to be there at the end. And we always have a team that's going to surprise us. We think they're just hanging in, hanging in, but they keep playing well the whole year. Look at the Giants last year. Who would have ever thought they would have won 107 games? I mean, we we kept thinking they were going to fall off at some point, and they never did. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, the West is very competitive. Um, uh, uh, some thoughts here. So the Yankees had their 11-game winning streak broken 2-1. to one. Good game against Toronto. Um, Boone got thrown out of the game because of some uh, questionable calls during the judge uh, at bat uh, before that game. Uh, judge took the baseball that that Toronto fan gave to that kid. Finally, somebody with some sense uh, and signed the ball for him. And, and, the, and the guy from the Blue Jays was there, too. Finally, no self-absorbed idiot that wants to throw the ball back on the field instead of sharing the ball with one of the fans. So that was nice to see, Jack. Well, fan, I, fans I, are funny. Listen, Mac, I remember once between innings. Uh, when the Yankees won the field, Derek Jeter sees a little girl in the stands, you know, near the railing with a Jeter jersey on. So between innings, he has a ball and he wants to go to hand her the ball. Very nice gesture by Derek. And all the fans, the adults, their hands are trying to grab the ball. You see Jeter pulling the ball back, trying to maneuver it into the girl's hand. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's crazy. Um, so, uh, that's something the Yanks finally lose. I'm not putting a lot of stock in that because, again, they play one of the better teams in the league, and to lose by one run is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, the Red Sox don't look like last year, Jack. They, they, their pitching staff is is not playing well. Their offense is playing okay, but the pitching staff uh, was a big question to me going in this year. It's huge to me. I don't think Red Sox – are going to make the playoffs this year, in my opinion, anyway. Wow, well, you're down on them. Last year you were high on them, and you yeah. were validated, Mac. Yeah. I did. I kept telling you, come summertime, they were going to be out of it last year, and they weren't. You were right. They carried it through. They made the playoffs. They beat the Yankees in the one-game playoff last year. And uh, But they're in a tough division when you look at it. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, Yankees – 
Toronto, Tampa Bay themselves. The only really weak team is Baltimore. I don't think the Yankees are going to keep up this pace. Listen, Mac, I'm not a front runner. I'm glad I'm being proven wrong being a Yankee fan. I want them to make me look like a complete fool when I said that they're going to play under 500 ball this year. And they're making me look foolish right now. But keep in mind, we got to stay the course. If you predicted something for a team in the beginning of the year, unless it's the Cincinnati Reds, if you predicted they'd have a good year, I wouldn't jump off the bandwagon. I stuck with the Atlanta Braves last year, and they struggled all of the regular season into the playoffs. But uh, if you have faith in the Boston Red Sox, and they have some good players, Davids, Bogart, Story. I mean, they have really good position players, uh, but it's just not happening. Their pitching hasn't been good this year, and it's going it's going to be tough this year, you know, to duplicate what they did last year. I think so. I th- I, th- I thought they'd take a little step back. Um, you know, the the Angels are sixteen and ten. I'm not sure if that's like a mirage right now. I don't know. I mean, Cal- you know. Uh, the Angels do have some players, a uh, couple of the best in the league, really. Uh, but I still, Houston at 14-11, of course, Dusty Baker won his 2000th uh, game as a manager, which is pretty pretty awesome. Does um, he belong in the Hall of Fame? We, de- we debated Dusty Baker, Mac, on the past show, whether he's a Hall of Fame or not. Myself, you, and Doc Semendinga. And you guys felt, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. He, he, based on his work as a play and this and that, I'm a big believer in body of work for Hall of Fame. He's not a Hall of Famer as a player or as a manager. I'll agree to that. Even though he has 2,000 wins, how many wins is him? No, he doesn't have 2,000 wins as a manager. What am I saying? I got this stat. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. He's the, he's the 12th 2,000 win manager in history, Jack. He just won 2,000 wins. That is hard to believe that stat because that's a hundred wins a year for 20 years to average yeah. out. Yeah. And has he been managing that long? But in yeah. any event, Dusty Baker has a great body of work. Look, he appeared in World Series with the Dodgers as a player, and he's never won a World Series as a manager, even though he went to one last year, you know, as the manager of the Astros. I think when you look at Dusty Baker's body of work, his career in baseball. To me, I think he does edge into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, with the with 2000 Win Club, Jack, he's the first black uh, manager to do that. Um, there's something to be said by by winning c- consistently, right? I mean, winning all the time, getting 2000 wins, uh, to me, is quite a, quite a, you know, you can have all the rings and all that stuff, which a lot of people that are in the Hall of Fame do. And some of the guys that play really well for years and years don't get in. Uh, for some reason or other. To me, there's something to be said about being... He was a darn good player. Dusty Baker was a very good player. Yeah, yeah, he was a good player, a very good player. Very good outfielder for the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, on those teams on the Tommy Lasorda that, you know, played the Yankees in those World Series late 70s, beginning mm-hmm. 1981 too. Yeah. Yeah, so so uh, I, I, I don't know if the Angels is a mirage or not. We'll see. Uh, Mac, every year I the Angels disappoint me. I predict they're going to have a good year, and they never do. This year, I finally was fed up and didn't predict they'd have a good year, and lo and behold, they're having a good year. My gut feeling is they're going to prove me wrong, and they're going to keep it up. 
I still like Seattle coming on at the end there, Jack. I uh, do and, too. And the NL, and the NL, of course, everybody talks about the Dodgers. Everybody talks about the Giants. Everybody talks about, and and Milwaukee is just there all the time. Uh, Seventeen and eight, Jack. They're hitting the cover off their ball. The pitching's one of the best in the league. Is this year their year? It might be. Listen, other years are their years. I mean, like last year. I mean, they did make the playoffs. It's not like Milwaukee is flamed out. Okay, it's just they can't get over the top come playoff time. I mean, what are we going to be saying next year? If Milwaukee keeps playing well, they get into the playoffs, they get eliminated. The next season we're going to say, oh, is this finally going to be Milwaukee's year? Like what you determine, how is it a team's year? Do they have to win the World Series, at least get to the World Series for it to be their year? I mean, some teams are just like that. They're a perennial playoff team but they just can't take it a step further. Not that Milwaukee's at that point. Look, St. Louis is always there at the end, the Cardinals. Yeah. I mean, they're always, if they're not going to be in the playoffs, they're going to be contending for playoff position. And they've won World Series, you know, earlier in this part of the century. But are they going to be there at the end? You know, keep in mind, they're going to be two extra playoffs teams because of the wild card this year. I mean, there are going to be three wild card teams, I should say, this year. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, <clears throat> to me, I, you know, you look at the Mets, you look at, the, you know, you look at the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres and 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 you know, Milwaukee. Uh, there, I think those those teams are definitely going to be there in the end. Uh, we'll see what happens over the National League. I think they got a lot better teams in the National League than they do in the American League, Jack. Yeah, but some teams are going to fall short, and the tricky part is figuring out who, like, even take the NL East, we think, well, the Mets are going to be there, they're ready to take the next step. We think the Phillies are on the verge of taking the next step and being a playoff team, they came close next last year, and then we say, of course, the Atlanta Braves are World Series champions, they've made, you know, some moves during the offseason that aren't going to hurt them. Even losing Freddie Freeman, they replaced them with Matt Olson at first base. Kelsey Jansen, they got for their bullpen. Ronald Acuna's back. So we think the Braves are going to be there, but someone is bound to fall off just by a little bit. And then there's a young team like Miami. They're not expected to make the playoffs, but they're expected to definitely improve. Okay. And let's say Miami makes more of an improvement than we even anticipated, then they're going to be in the mix for playoff position. Right now they're at 500. Mm -hmm. The only team we could safely say in the NL East that isn't going to be a fact that's very unlikely would be the Washington Nationals. I agree with that. They might have the best play in baseball conceivably in Juan Soto. Possibly. Conceivably. Conceivably. So very, very early – uh, but you know you, you're up near, you know you're up near 25, 30 games now. So it's a it's a it's a piece of the season. Yeah, yeah, a little body of work we've seen. Yeah, it's now. a little body of work to look at. A little at. more now. Yeah, yeah. So we could we could at least kind of try to analyze see what's going to happen. And there's going to be some yeah. team that just takes off during the middle middle of the year and just makes a run, and whatever whoever team that is, some team you don't expect. Uh, you know that's going to happen. We know it. Well, um, I'm going to tell you that's got that is going to happen. Even a team like the Detroit Tigers, who are playing very poorly, and people weren't picking them to win their division, 
I'm telling you now, they're going to take off at some point during the year, and they're yeah. going to contend for a playoff position. Very possible. Very possible, Jack. Um, a little bit before Carter gets here about the NIL, right, the, the likeness, the, the player's likeness, um, the the some of the leagues in college football right now, this is going to happen in college basketball too, are looking at Washington for some guidelines. Because what's going on now is that the NIL, which wasn't supposed to be used as a recruiting tool, is now becoming the recruiting tool because you have the high school players asking the universities. The first question is, what is my capabilities of making and how much money will I make by going to your university? And, you know, this is this is going to be a problem for a lot of small schools. Uh, even the portals that they have, Jack, to, you know, that were supposed to be for players that were in a situation where they couldn't start you'll have starters going from school to school with the opportunity to make more money than they're making at their current school. So this whole thing is kind of, um, you know, getting too big for some of these leagues right now. A lot of athletic directors are talking and seeing what they can do about it um, where, you know, it's becoming a professional league. And this is like a free agency, including boosters being able to get their hands on, these younger players and offering them a lot of money, which you're not supposed to do, but this makes it a lot easier for them. So there's a lot of problems facing college football right now. Um, and it's going to be the same way in basketball. As soon as the season starts up, you know, where can you go to make the most amount of money uh, being a college player, the most endorsements. And uh, right now with the ruling by the Supreme court that they could do this, there's no guidelines. There, there, there's no uh, rules that prevent this from happening. So um, pretty interesting, pretty scary stuff, Jack. Um, you know, we're not even talking about legal realignments. We're just talking about kids right now trying to make as much money as they can as soon as they can. But it's going to hurt college football as far as fairness goes, I think. Yeah, but listen, with the NCAA, they're just basically getting what they deserved after years of not allowing the athlete to even get a toothache checked, you know, without getting permission on that. And we sometimes forget that these colleges are supposed to be educational institutes, but I'm all for the college athlete making as much money as he can. If, if they're going to use his likeness, well, where's the money going to? Why should the university get all this money off the kid's likeness and the kid doesn't get any himself? Worst case scenario, let the kid make his million dollars and then he has to pay his own tuition to be at the school. He's not, he, he's not afforded quite that scholarship the same way. I mean, something should be worked out. The money's going somewhere. Shouldn't it find its way into the pockets of the person who's making the money slash the college athlete? No, and I don't disagree with that, but uh, you're not going to be able to take the scholarship away because if you don't give him a scholarship, why would he come to your school? He's got to play somewhere. Well, uh, well, what about this, Matt? With the transfer portal... Can't they be free agents? Listen, Mac, if you're not an athlete and you're a college student, you could go to any college you want and you could apply to it, right? You could leave any college whenever you want. Well, no, there, there, no, there is. There are, there's still, you still owe payments to that college too, Jack. You still owe money. Um, the scholarship itself 
if you cancel a scholarship, there are consequences. In other words, if I give you a scholarship as a as a kid coming to play baseball, you say, "Well, I don't want to play baseball." They can take that scholarship away from you. So there are there are penalties uh, when it comes to uh, you know receiving a scholarship. Is there are there are rules attached to that. The problem with the NIL is there are no rules attached to that. The problem with the portal is is now we're not saying, well, this this player can't play at this school. The player can play at that school, but the money at Oklahoma is better than the money at – Get the scholarship, Mac. The player doesn't need the scholarship if he can make a lot of money on his likeness. If a kid can make $2 million playing for the university, getting a sponsorship deal, an endorsement deal, he could tell the school, I'll pay my tuition out of my own pocket to play for you. I don't need your scholarship. I'll give you your sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, whatever you want for your scholarship, for the money to attend your university. I'll play as a walk-on. He could, Jack. But the 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 whole problem is, if say you're USC, and you say, okay, you can make two million dollars in 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 in, uh, uh, sponsorship. And here's a $100,000 sports scholarship. But since you make $2 million, we're going to take away that $100,000 scholarship. UCLA says, we'll give you the $2 million and you can keep your scholarship. This is what it's come to. So, I mean, this is what it is now. You said free agents, the kids are free agents. And you say, well, that's good for the players. It might be good for the players, but it might be very bad for the sport. And that's the problem, Jack. Mac, wouldn't that be great to have an agent negotiating with the How is Cincinnati now going to compete with any major school if they can't afford to pay their players like the other schools can? Who says they can't? I mean, if if, if all the good players are not. The schools aren't paying the players a lot. No, I'm not talking about the schools paying players. That's not where they're getting their money. They're getting their opportunity. Listen, Jack, the opportunity to play for a big, for instance, if you play for Alabama, your sponsorship is going to be a lot bigger. Sorry. If you pay, play for uh, Georgia, your, your sponsorship is going to be a lot bigger than if you play for Cincinnati. That's just common sense. Right. Uh, Not necessarily. I mean, at the moment, yes. But momentum changes. There were certain universities years ago that were bigger than Alabama, Nebraska, Miami, you know, Notre Dame's still big because of the name, you know, Penn State. I mean, there were other schools, UCLA, that were bigger as far as football went than Alabama. And that could wind up being the case again if they get the right players and they get the winning program again and so far as challenging for the national title, then they become big. You know, so it, it, uh, Alabama's basically riding a wave because right now the kids, the top recruits in high school, they want to go to the NFL as far as football goes. So they go to Alabama. But keep this in mind, Alabama's not so big in basketball. I mean, Duke is much bigger than basketball. Well, so if you get a great that's, that's basketball a player coming out of high school, they're more likely going to want to go to Duke than, let's say, that's, Alabama. Exactly. That's a different conversation, though. That's a different conversation. We're talking football right now. Basketball would be a Duke, definitely. And Alabama did get a lot better to just just to uh, just to uh, uh, 
give you the counterpoint there. Alabama was a lot better in college. Well, they on the Bab Bryant years ago, obviously they were big, but the recruiting was much different then. Yes. So it, Carter, Carter hasn't popped in yet. So let's start talking about the NHL playoffs a little bit. Um, you know, uh, the playoff picture right now, Jack, uh, and, and of course this is the, the exciting time of the season for hockey fans. Um, the Hurricanes are up two to nothing over the Bruins. Uh, to me, the Hurricanes are kind of punking the Bruins right now. Uh, the Bruins are a f- very physical team, uh, but the Hurricanes are coming in. I, I saw the shot one of the Bruins took coming around the goal there, like to knock them out of the out of the the rink. And right now, uh, you know, the uh, right now the Bruins are, are down zero to two. Jack, I think. Yeah, I don't is- think it's going to get better for Boston. This has been very disappointing. They've lost two games. They- Five one and five two, they just have had a hard time mounting an offense, and it it just looks like you know it very well could be a sweep. I mean, they they've got to turn it around soon. You know, going back to Boston, seeing whether they could rally then, but it doesn't look good for the Bruins at all. Yeah, yeah. The Hurricanes yeah. are just a better team. I they mean, see, yeah, they seem a lot faster too, Jack. I watched part of the game. And they seem just a lot faster than Boston on the ice. They're just, I mean, Boston seems one step slower than than uh, than right now. Then they look uh, a little intimidated. The Bruins, they're not as far as being scared of Carolina, but it doesn't seem like they're playing as a unit that feels they absolutely need to get it done. Uh, it, it feels like they've kind of giving in a little bit to Carolina. Yeah, yeah, it, it does, especially near the end of the game. The Penguins up one nothing over the Rangers, a half half call and the, the goalie obstruction uh, goal turned that all around. Uh, you know the, the Rangers kind of knocked the goalie out of the net, but there was a guy on the Rangers' back riding it right through there. So uh, did you see that? Did you see that play, Jack? Or what did you think? Yeah, I you know you don't know in a play like that because sometimes you're seeing something on TV and it looks like so much different. You know, when you when when you're the referee and you're right there, I'll tell you with that triple overtime game that the Rangers lost to the Penguins, it's so hard to come back from a game like that. Think of it, triple overtime. That's like playing nearly two games in uh, one. Mm-hmm. And if you win the game, it's not so bad. But when you lose a game and you put in all that extra time. And now you're down one nothing instead of up one nothing, and you know, and the the amount of work the goalies had to do. You know, the big story game one. Like I joke with you sometimes about relief pitchers in football. Well, there was a relief pitcher in goaltending, a Louis Dominique. I mean, he comes in there for Pittsburgh in the middle of the second overtime coming off the bench because they started gotten leg cramps, a low abdominal pains, and he made 17 saves and he held the Rangers off until the Penguins can get the goal. And now he might be starting again. He's been around the league a while. He's 30 years old, but sometimes these playoffs have a compelling story where some player is going to come out of nowhere and become a major fact. And maybe this is going to be it for Pittsburgh. I'll tell you, I wonder the attitude of the New York Rangers now. They can't afford to lose game two. It doesn't mean it's over if they lose game two. But 
they're going to have to bounce back from such a devastating defeat like that. And we're going to see how much intestinal fortitude they have. Their goalkeeper, Shesterkin, what did he make, like 70 saves or something during the game? And a a crazy amount. And he's going to have to kind of crank it up and give him a big game again, the way he's done all season. Oh, I, 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 I have a feeling the Rangers will tie the series next game. We'll see what happens with that. Um, you look at the Lightning, the first game against Toronto, they didn't look like the Tampa Bay Lightning. Toronto kind of took it to them. They bounced back uh, last night, went 5-3. to three. Um, But Toronto and is, is going to give, I think, Jack, Tampa Bay everything they can handle this series. If Tampa Bay wins it, and I think it's going to go the whole route, I think Toronto is a legit team, and I think they can beat the, the Lightning a couple breaks here and there. I think they can beat the Lightning. Um, I think this is the best going to be the best first-round series, Jack. It is. You know, it's a shame it's happening in the first round. Yeah. A series like this is worthy of a conference final. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And it's a shame two teams of this caliber. You know, the Lightning answered the bell. Victor Hedman for them had a goal, three assists. After they lost so decisively to Lightning in game one, you wonder if the Maple Leafs won game two with the Lightning, the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, whether they would be on the verge of being dethroned. But no, I mean, they answered the bell to Lightning for this game. They got off to a quick start, and they never relinquished control of this game. You know, yeah. Lightning. And- yeah, and, and Toronto never gave up either. I mean, I think that, like I said, a couple breaks, Toronto could win this series. I, I, I don't know. I think Tampa Bay will in the end. Uh, but, man, I think this is going to be the best series going on. A capital surprise the Panthers. I mean, up one nothing, shut them out. I mean, uh, the Panthers didn't see this coming. But, listen, the Capitals aren't a bad team, man. I mean, you can't sleep on them. So, I, I think maybe the Panthers maybe read a little too much of the press clippings, thought this was going to be a fairly – uh, winnable series, and uh, maybe they're in a dogfight, Jack. We'll see. Yeah, I don't understand this. I had a chance being in Florida to see the Panthers play a good amount of games, and the Panthers, I mean, they look so good, and yeah. especially the way they finished the season. They look like they won a roll, and we like to talk about momentum in sports, <clears throat> and the Panthers look like a team that had a lot of momentum going into the playoffs, the Capitals look so-so. And then game one, I mean, you know, the Capitals on the road, they stunned the Panthers, beat them 4-2. You know, they rallied two yeah. in the game, the Capitals, because they were down 2-1 to one going into the third yeah. period. Yeah, so maybe the Panthers got a little comfortable figuring we got this. And then, you know, three goals and Capitals win 4-2 and – Steal game one, and now the pressure really is on the Panthers in game two on their home ice to respond. I imagine they'll bounce back, but that's just it's I just, think I think they will. That's that's that was that was interesting. Uh Flames take care of business uh versus the stars. They're up one nothing. Um, you know, Calgary, I don't know if Calgary can make the uh the, the cup Stanley Cup finals. I think they're a real solid team, Jack. Um, not a not a big test, you know, uh, versus the Stars, I don't think, anyway. Uh, next round will be their test. I think Calgary pretty 
easily gets rid of the stars. It might go, it might go the full amount of games, but I still think Calgary has a real good edge against them. Second round be a lot more tougher for Calgary to get through. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, it's we'll see who they play in the second round. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's still, you know, all these playoff series are so early. I mean, we tend to get a little excited because one team jumps up a game. I'll tell you what bothers me about any playoff series in all sports, though. You can't have an attitude either. And I know I'm contradicting myself a little. Well, it's early. There's plenty of time. To me, there's not plenty of time. Even if it's best four out of seven, you're down one game, best four out of seven. To me, there's got to be urgency. There's got to be urgency before the first game is played. I think it's very important to jump up on a team because you can't always turn it up a notch when you think you can. Yeah, listen, Jack, I think anybody that wins the first game has an advantage, uh, but that advantage can be taken away really quick in the second game. Look, like I said, Toronto uh, going up one nothing. No, I mean, everybody thought Tampa Bay would come out firing on all cylinders and the best team in the league, blah, 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 blah. And Toronto is probably make-believe because of what happened last year. Listen, I mean, that's going to be a series. I, I, I'll tell you, I think Toronto's got a good shot. Well, let's I get to that's, that's a great that, – that, to me, uh, outside of the New York mentality, the Penguins and Rangers, to me, as a hockey fan, and I'm not a, the biggest hockey fan in the world. I'm not going to pretend that I am. But that is one series that intrigues me so yeah. much, the Maple Leafs and the Lightning. What a great series. What a great matchup. And it's playing out that way one game apiece so far. So the Oil, the Oilers tie the series with the Kings, shutting them out 6 nothing. Big answer to the last game. Uh, the Oilers, I, you know, I, I don't know, Jack. I don't think the Oilers get – if they beat them, they don't get past the second. Well, unless the Kings, neither of them. I don't see either one going to the finals. The Wild, uh, the team that Carter told us about, had a shot at going – That was Carter's dark horse that could yes. win the whole thing that Carter pointed yes. out. Yes, uh, did. They, uh, they uh, beat the Blues 6-2. to two. Um, The Blues are a good team, as Carter said, but the Wild uh, do have a couple young stars there uh, that really came to play. So we'll see. I they mean, responded with a 6-2 win. Uh, yeah. Kirill Kapazarov, uh, he had a hat trick yesterday. And, you know, the Wild unexpectedly lost the first game, but they responded in great fashion, you know, with the decisive win over the Blues yesterday. And the Avalanche, easy first win versus the Predators. That, that series, I think, is over before it started, Jack. If the Avalanche play, you know, 80% of what they played during the season, uh, this won't be much of a series. Well, yeah, yeah, well, and today, I mean, you, as far as today goes, I mean, you have four games today, and uh, the Rangers and Penguins, that, I mean, that's the big one there, but the Capitals and the Panthers, like we said a moment ago, the Capitals up one nothing. The Panthers better respond today. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll be shocked if Washington goes to Florida and wins two games in a row, and then they're going back to Washington. Uh and, uh, you know, we'll see. And the Stars and the Flames today and Calgary. Yeah, I'll, I mean, it, it, every matchup is exciting, Mac. I mean, there's yeah. a certain there's a, no, there's a certain newness to this. The only matchup that's not exciting right now is seeing with the uh, Boston Bruins right now down 2 nothing to the Hurricanes. 
that's the only matchup that I could say with absolute confidence. I know it's not over till it's over, but it's over. Yeah. That's the only one. Yeah. I, 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 I think you're right. I think you're right. And they'll come back and win the series, make us both look like fools. Folks, we're going to take our first break today. We'll be back on the other side. Talk a little bit, a little bit about the NFL if we have time as we welcome in our uh, boxing guest, Danny Gonzalez, up at nine. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages, guys. You worked too hard. You ate too much. The cheesecake made you greedy. But you're aching your and stomach. Hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Those speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer Gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. When the job is done, this guy will be ready to dig into something mighty good to eat. How do you handle a hungry man, the manhandler? One of the manhandlers is Campbell's Vegetable Beef. It's a man-sized supper off to a good hot start. Mmm, good. The manhandler. If you're talking, they will hear you. Every single time. Now we're getting killed. Yeah, well, Kyle's not here. How come? Kicked off the team. Didn't Tim tell you? Kyle's mother kids got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. 
Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's the first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt that's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so... I... Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it, too. I'm not saying that Matt's going to be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, how's he going to know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill. But they hear more than you think. Talk. They hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. We're on live 8 to 10 a.m. Thursday through Sunday, uh, live on Roku, YouTube, and a bunch of other outlets, Jack. Um, I want to do a quick uh a PSA here for a cause that Northeast Streaming Sports is, you know, the a main sponsor in at this time. Uh, it's it's a, uh, a thing called Dream Ride. It's coming up uh, May 25th through the 27th or 8th. Uh, Philly Sports Guy will be there, and it's to help mentally handicapped children. The Hometown Foundation is excited to bring back the Dream Ride Experience, August 26th to the 28th at Connecticut's Farmington Polo Club. Join us in celebrating the accomplishments of our Dream Riders while enjoying live music, a car and motorcycle show, family fun zone, pet adoptions, canine demonstrations, the Fireman's Chili Cook-Off, and much, much more. Get your tickets today. That's right, folks. The Dream Ride Experience. We're proud sponsors of Northeast Streaming Sports and the Mac and Jack Sports Show, uh, helping out handicapped and challenged kids and, uh, you know, giving them a weekend where their dream kind of comes true. Uh, they call it a dream ride where they get to pick their favorite car uh, that's available. And cars come from all over the world, Lamborghinis, Mercedes, uh, all kinds of different cars you can think of, hot rods, anything they want, including motorcycles. Uh, if they want to ride in the back of a Harley or something like that, and they treat them like royalty for that weekend. So it's a great, great event. Folks, give with your heart. Just check out a dreamride.org, and you can make donations there if you can't make the event. So, uh, Jack, before uh, the our boxing guest comes in, let's talk a little bit about the NFL. The, one of the, some of the biggest news out there, DeAndre Hopkins is suspended for six months. Uh, he dropped his... Uh, you know, his appeal, he's going to take the fine for PEDs. I think the Cardinals knew about it. That's why they picked up uh, the wide receiver from the Ravens. Uh, but it's going to hurt him. Uh, last year, I think they, they lost the majority of games after he got hurt. That's when they took started their slide. Kyle Murray's uh, contract still up in the air. The last thing I heard was that the contract may not be there 
uh, when he starts. So we'll see if he plays or not. So the Arizona Cardinals, who looked like they were going to take the NFL by storm last year, starting 11-0, and have a lot of problems to overcome. No, no, I remember one of our regular co-hosts on the football edition, Byron Williams, picked the Cardinals to win the Super Bowl last year. They got J.J. Watt. It looked like a whole new culture. DeAndre Hopkins says he has no idea how it got into his system. Mac, have, don't we hear that all the time? Wouldn't it be nice to hear an athlete say one time, look, I knew what I was doing. I put it in my system. I thought I could get myself an edge. I know some other guys are doing it. So I kind of want to keep up, but I, I, I knew what I was doing. And I have to face the consequences. You know, I made a mistake. I'm sorry about it. And Blah, blah, blah. He shouldn't even mention other guys. Let me retract that. So just take accountability. Take a suspension. I'm wrong, you know, and that's that. But always an excuse. You're right. The Cardinals probably knew about it. That's why they addressed the receiver position otherwise. And when Kyla Murray is, isn't showing the maturity of being a leader, you know, the one area where a guy cannot show immaturity on the field is that quarterback, Okay. You've got your quarterback's got to be a leader. He doesn't necessarily have to be the leader of the team. An example, when the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl, Ray Lewis was one of the leaders. Trent for the quarterback, wasn't a leader, but he also wasn't an immature guy who was a distraction. And Kyler Murray, for all his talent, is acting highly immature. And teams don't want to put up with that. I mean... You know, and listen, people complain about Aaron Rodgers' attitude, at least on the field. Aaron Rodgers wasn't putting his teammates down. It was just between him and the front office. Yeah. That was the whole thing. But Kyler Murray, I I just don't know what his future holds. But he better grow up and learn a lesson from Baker Mayfield. Because Baker Mayfield would have his tantrums as well. And guess what? Baker Mayfield's going to have a hard time finding a job now. I mean, he should be able to get one, but it's a backup somewhere. And Kyler Murray shouldn't be so sure he's going to have a starting position, you know, if he went to another team. It's not a lock because Kyler Murray's performance kind of regressed last year. It went backwards a little bit. And if that trend continues, he could be the second coming of, let's say, an RG3 who had an excellent rookie year, and then it just started going downhill from there. Well, yeah, that, that, the, injury did, the injury didn't help RG3 either. But back to Kyle Murray for a second. And a lot of people say, well, what do you mean immature? Listen, folks, as a quarterback, you have two types of leader. You have the ones that do it on the field, right? They just lead on the field. They keep their mouth shut. They keep trying. And when the game's over, they take full responsibility for the loss. This is That's what a leader does. Or you got the ones that fire you up on the sidelines. They don't sit around and pout, look up at the score, go sit by themselves. That's not what a leader does, especially on an offense uh, where it's, you know, the offense has changed so much where maybe a running back might have been a leader a long time ago, and now it's the quarterback. You, you can't sit on the sideline and pout by yourself and stay away from people. You've either got to. You can't. You absolutely can't. Because the whole team picks up on your energy. Of course. Of course, Jack. You know, so uh, that's what we're talking about. So real quick about Baker. Now, Baker is not going anywhere, Jack. I, I have a feeling there is no team 
that's going to pick up his 18 million or 9 million or 5 million. They're not going to do anything because they know they got Cleveland right where they want him. So let me propose this and tell me if this sounds crazy to you. We almost can guarantee that Watson's going to get some kind of suspension, whether it's three games or six games or, or the year, whatever they decide on Watson. This is going to happen, and, and the NFL is going to do it. It's This is the way they do things. It's been proven. So you have over there right now, you have uh, – uh, I'm trying to remember the backup quarterback they signed. They Brissett. Brissett. Brissett is no Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield at least led the teams in the playoffs. He has enough fortitude to do this. So let's say for a second, Watson gets just, say, six games suspension. Would Baker Mayfield step in and be the starting quarterback for those six games since he still is a <laughs> Cleveland Brown player? Or does Baker Mayfield say, go kick rocks? You already screwed me over. I don't want to talk to you anymore. What do you think Baker Mayfield would do in that position? The answer is no. Baker Mayfield's never going to wear Cleveland Brown uniform again. Keep in mind, he didn't go to the voluntary workouts. It's a joke to call them voluntary workouts because the team, you know, uh, the team expects you to be there. Or what are they called? Involuntary or whatever the name is. But Baker Mayfield didn't show up. He had the option not to show up, and he didn't. And Jacoby Brissett, keep in mind, he's got experience. No, he's not quite as good as Baker Mayfield when Baker Mayfield's playing at his best. But Jacoby Brissett was a backup for Tom Brady with the Patriots. Jacoby Brissett was given the starting job with Indianapolis after Andrew Luck, you know, left. He couldn't quite hold on to it, it should be pointed out. Then he went to the Miami Dolphins. He filled in a little for Tua. And now he finds himself here, you know, with Cleveland. And Jacoby Brissett is competent. That's the best way of saying it. Right. He's a competent backup. If you're Cleveland, do you want to see Baker Mayfield on the facility? Because you know Deshaun Watson would be, even if he's suspended, is coming back at some point. Right. And Baker Mayfield knows he's coming back. Let's say it's a six-game suspension. And Baker Mayfield's your quarterback for six games. What are you going to do with him at the end of six games? Let's say he plays decently enough and the team wins. Deshaun right. Watson is definitely a quarterback when he comes back. There's no way Deshaun Watson is going to back up Baker Mayfield. So Baker Mayfield knows he's basically on borrowed time. And he's somewhere he doesn't want to be. And Baker Mayfield's teammates know he doesn't want to be there either. And no one has talked out on behalf of Baker Mayfield since he's had his tantrum wanting to leave. We haven't heard former teammates say good things about him in that regard. You know, like what he's right, contributed right, right. to the team. He's not coming back to Cleveland. They'll sooner eat the $18 million than to have Baker Mayfield on their facility again. So, so again, I, I kind of agree with you. I kind of agree with you. I, th I think it's a, it's a crazy position he could find himself in. What if Baker Mayfield gets cut? And he goes and he plays second string somewhere, takes minimum. I mean, Cleveland's going to pay him 18 mil anyway or whatever after taxes it is, and just takes a hiatus, goes behind one of the better quarterbacks. Say he goes, he goes to Green Bay and said, listen, I'll be the backup or Tampa or, you know, wherever, or, or Kansas City. He says, well, listen, let, let, you're naming particular teams. 
but I have to address every team individually. Well, 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 I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving you examples, Jack. I, 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 it doesn't have to be. A good team with a great quarterback and says, listen, I'll take a hiatus. I want to learn somewhat how to be a pro, which I think was what Baker's problem is. He doesn't know how to be a professional football player. I, I will take minimum. I'll take salary minimum. You don't have to worry about paying me millions of dollars or anything. I'm already paid, but I want to learn from a, a great quarterback in this league right now how to become a professional football player. Is that an option you think Baker would do, or do you think he's got too much pride? No, 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 no. Mac, what you have to consider is what Baker Mayfield thinks of himself. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. He's been a starter for four years. Baker Mayfield's not thinking, I want to go somewhere to learn. Baker Mayfield thinks he's one of the better quarterbacks right now in the NFL. That's his mindset, which is fine. That's the mindset you should have. He's confident in himself that he can do it. You know, and he did have, out of his four years with Cleveland, you want to know something, Mac? Two of the four years, he was actually good. Two of the four years. Last year, he was dreadful a lot of the year. You know, making some terrible passes. I know he was hurt as well. That could have contributed to his performance, but his performance really wasn't good at all last year. Certain teams, he's never going to get off the bench barring an injury. Why would he want to back up Tom Brady in Tampa? He's never going to start ahead of Brady. Why would he want to do it Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, Aaron Rodgers at Green Bay? The only reason he might want to do that is to reset. Give other teams the idea, I have a good attitude. I was willing to sit one year, and I'm coming back brand new in a year. It's kind of regrowth. Kind of going to hiding in a way. Baker Mayfield wanted to quarterback the Indianapolis Colts. Remember he said that. He even picked his team, and the Colts detoured and made a deal for Matt Ryan. Right. They didn't want, listen, the Atlanta Falcons, you know who the starters, Marcus Mariota, Mariota, and they picked him over Baker Mayfield. I now, agree. some people were thinking they're not giving up a high draft choice for Baker Mayfield at all. We knew they wouldn't, but Cleveland was maybe thinking they could get a third and a fourth rounder for him, maybe something like that. That didn't happen. And and they're waiting it out. Someone would pick Baker Mayfield up, I'm confident, if they had to pay him basically the league minimum. But I can't see him going to a team, too, with a young quarterback like a Zach Wilson, the Jets. That puts pressure on the young quarterback to constantly be looking over his shoulder who you're trying to develop. So... And Baker Mayfield's a little bit of a lightning rod. Wherever he goes, fans might start hollering for him to start in certain situations. It's a touchy situation. But I think what Baker basically should have done was when they got Deshaun Watson, Cleveland, pull the Jimmy Garoppolo. Just keep your mouth shut, play, be a pro. Look what Jimmy Garoppolo last year, Mac. He didn't have a hissy fit that he had to go elsewhere. He stayed with the Niners, even though they drafted Trey Lance, and he was their quarterback of the future. He played out the year, and he spread a lot of goodwill around the league, Jimmy Garoppolo, with what he did. Well, I, I mean, I guess. I mean, I I, I would think that the that the, uh, the 
that Baker Mayfield and his agent have a huge problem in front of them because it's not so much, Jack, that he hides for a year. They still want to see how good he is, right? So if he don't play at all, uh, they're not going to know how good he is, uh, if he developed more or not. Uh, because, you know, Cleveland, let's face it, was a running football team. That's what Cleveland Browns were. They weren't a passing football team. So the only option that I could see that maybe Baker could have taken or went to was a Tennessee Titan that's a similar offense or maybe a San Francisco that's a similar offense. But they're all set at quarterback right now to me. I don't think that Baker could could survive on a passing offense. Give me a fit for Baker Mayfield. You're, if you had to play, what would be the best fit for him right now? Who might be willing to take him where he could maybe reclaim a starting job in time? He's the, not going to want to be a career backup, that's for sure. The best fit for him, to me, there's two places. One, you mentioned already, Atlanta Falcons. To me, he's better than Marcus Mariota, uh, but it's a new coach, Jared, and you have to suck up 18 and, and And keep this in mind, they drafted Desmond Ritter, the quarterback from Cincinnati. Right. So it's not a fit for Baker because if they get Baker Mayfield, he's not going to be the third-string quarterback. He would be Mariota's backup ready to go in, and that holds back the development of Desmond Ritter. Very true. Very if Mariota true. doesn't work out, they're looking towards Desmond Ritter to maybe be a quarterback. Well, I, don't think, I don't think Ritter would be ready this year for sure. No, no. Maybe, well, maybe, he's four years started Cincinnati. You never maybe, know. Eh, maybe, maybe. I mean, anything can happen, Jack. You know, we could be totally wrong about what we're saying. The Panthers would be the other fit for me. Um but again, you already have a high. They drafted Matt Carell. The right, Packers, right. the same. Right. Matt Carell. They didn't draft him to be a third-string quarterback. Agreed. They drafted they drafted him in the third round to play behind Sam Donald. Agree, agree. And I think Baker might be better than Sam Donald. Might be. Might. The problem, might. Yeah. The problem, yeah. The problem is there. You got two quarterbacks now making millions and millions of dollars a year. I think Baker is stuck. He's out for this year. I think Cleveland stuck. Baker stuck. I think that whole thing again, unless, unless a quarterback gets hurt this year, which could happen, it happens, and they need a starting quarterback to step in and to continue a run, um, and that's the only way Baker gets back. Well, Baker Mayfield could conceivably wind up with the Panthers if he came and had the attitude. He says, "Look." Whatever my role is, I'm going to accept my role. I'm not going to be a distraction. I'm going to be ready to compete Compete if you want me to. If I'll be ready to go in and play good football if you put me in the game. If you don't put me in, I'll support the other quarterbacks. I'll support the team. I won't be a distraction at all. You got my word on that. I, I think the only way you see Baker this year, and it's very possible, is a good quarterback gets hurt and they need some veteran to step in and to keep the drive kind of going. Other than that, I don't see oh, Yeah, that. yeah, but he, if he's not practicing with the team, he's not going to all of a sudden be taken off the well, street, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had to perform in a couple of weeks. Sort of like Cam Newton was. He, he will. He will. Well, he Cam will. Newton at least had a training camp with the Patriots, okay? It wasn't, it wasn't like they I, – I know what you mean with the Panthers. I'm sorry. When he came with the Panthers, you're right. In that sense, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so maybe, and it didn't I, work out, Mac. No, it didn't. It, it, didn't. it didn't. It didn't. But I think at these 
at this point in their career. The second go round with the Panthers, let me point out. The second coming, the more, at this more point, recent one. At this point in both their careers, Baker's better than Cam Newton. There's no question about that. So anyway. I would go with Baker over Cam Newton at this oh, point. There's, there's, I would. Not, there's not even a question about that. So, But you brought up an interesting thing so far. Danny hasn't come in. I checked the messages. Uh, Tony did send him the link, so maybe he's just getting a problem coming in. So um, so let's talk about Garoppolo. Very interesting case. Probably the best quarterback that's not guaranteed to start this year because of the shoulder and because of Trey Lance. Um, and I know there are teams out there that would love to have Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, the 49ers do not have to get rid of him. They may keep him just in case Trey Lance doesn't do it. I mean, uh, you know, the 49ers now, Jack, Debo wants out. Garoppolo, we don't know what we're going to do. Garoppolo's been a gentleman. He hasn't demanded a trade. You know, all of us thought Jimmy G was going to get traded this offseason. I mean, he thought so himself. He was looking around. But you want to know something? Teams have made their quarterback moves. We're not sure where he might wind up going. And the Niners don't want to give him away for like a fifth-round draft choice. You know, they don't want to basically just give him away. I mean, I know as crazy as it seems, I mean, you think to yourself, could Jimmy G conceivably even find his way back to New England? I know they got Mac Jones, and but Belichick just drafted another quarterback, you know, in the fourth round. So with Belichick, you never know. He's going to play the guy he thinks could win for him right now. He's not going to think about babying and developing a player, and he's not going to worry about the player's confidence so much. He, he just wants to win right now. Well, according, according to what I, last thing I read, was soon as Jimmy G got the operation, the calls stopped coming into the 49ers. Calls were coming in. But as soon as he he got that surgery, the calls stopped. So depending on his rehabilitation, how good he is, and how good Trey Lance is, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that situation over there. Garoppolo could very well be the starting quarterback for the 49ers this year. Or he could be the backup for the Niners, and they might stay. Because, you know, one thing about Jimmy G, from all accounts, is there's no ill feelings about him within the 49er organization. If anything, they like his attitude because he's not giving them a hard time. He's not making demands. And in a, in a certain sense, they don't even want to let him go because they like him and they like his attitude. But the reality is they're paying him too much money to be a backup quarterback. And they, that's, and they, and yeah, they that's, up, and with the cap, that's a problem. And they gave up way too many draft choices not to give Trey Lance a shot. They're kind of stuck. Absolutely. They got yeah, – you have to address the Trey Lance situation. Is it possible, like you're saying, that Jimmy G comes back from this surgery and he's well and they feel Trey Lance maybe isn't – as ready as Jimmy G to take over the team? And does Jimmy G start the season? And then does the 49ers play really well where they can't really put Trey Lance in for long? But you know, when you when you give up all those draft choices to move up to draft a quarterback like Trey Lance, at some point you got to play him because you invested so much in him. And can you imagine a team saying, ah, oh, we have to forget our investment. It yeah. just didn't work. Uh, not, not that it didn't work as far as Trey Lance, where we never anticipated uh, the quarterback being so good. 
Yeah. You know, you, it's very rare where you would do something like that. Well, you we, know, were all, you know, we were all, and not we give were, the opportunity to the guy. We were who gave all up shocked. Up. We were all shocked when San Francisco did that, and we weren't sure if that was the right move at the time. So we'll see. But we didn't happens. know what did they take the right quarterback, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Knew Tre- they were going third. We knew Trevor Lawrence was going to the Jaguars. We weren't sure who the Jets were going to take, but they took Zach Wilson. And that left the Niners with three choices. Uh, a lot of people thought they were going to take Mac Jones with the third right. overall pick. Some people thought they might take Justin Fields, but they right. wound up taking Trey Lance. The Niners taking Trey Lance, they're going to be judged uh, against Justin Fields and Mac Jones. Yeah. You know, should they have taken Trey Lance ahead of those two other guys? And it's too early to tell. Mac Jones had a lot of success with the Patriots, but a lot had to do with the Patriots system too. Mac Jones is a good quarterback, can be quarterback for the Patriots for years, but he doesn't have the upside that Trey Lance has. Mac Jones doesn't look like he's ever going to be a great quarterback. It just looks like he could be a very good quarterback. Trey Lance has the physical potential to be a great quarterback. But he's a long way from that, of course. Yeah, we'll see about Trey Lance. Uh, I we'll see. I, we'll just see about Trey. No Lance. idea. No idea what how good he's going to become. It, it's it's found out that Debo Samuel's isn't about the money supposedly, which is you know that's it depends on what level you're talking. When it comes to Fort Anderson, he wants off the West Coast, Jack. He wants out of San Francisco. He wants to go somewhere east whether it's, you know, eastern to central or all the way east, Debo Samuels does not like the West Coast period. That's why he wants to be traded. Now, I, I, I've, never, I've never really heard something like that as, you know, as I know San Francisco isn't the best field to play on. It's not the greatest uh, 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 stadium in the world, um, but – it has an unbelievable tradition as far as football goes. Um, so Lynch says, listen, nobody came close to offering us what we would expect for Debo Samuels. And what happens there? Does Debo start sitting out, forcing the 49ers' hands, or does he pack it up and just play out his contract? What do you think is going to happen there, Jack? You know, usually in these tug-of-wars, teams are going to give in, and this isn't any sp- In the beginning, they might not. I mean, let's detour to the NBA with the Ben Simmons thing. In the beginning, the Sixers didn't trade Ben Simmons. They waited him out, waited him out, waited him out. And Ben Simmons wasn't coming back. And eventually the team thinks, look, if we could get some real serious value in return for this player, what would we rather do, punish him and get the value? And usually a team's going to give in and get the value down the line. But in football, if you take off one year, your value diminishes greatly. You know, we're one year off in football and who knows what the Niners are going to do. And Debo Samuels, let's say they call us bluff. He's just not going to play football, you know, unless he decides to come back at some point. And he's too valuable a player for the Niners to give up. They weren't going to get equal value in the draft. Reportedly, the Jets were going to give the 10th overall selection in the draft, the one in which they took Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver from Ohio State. 
that selection they were going to offer to the 49ers for Debo. And maybe they would have given another, you know, draft choice as well. But would Garrett Wilson have been equal value to Debo? <clears throat> I, at least not at this point. There's no evidence to say he would have. And uh, even though Garrett Wilson might have an outstanding NFL career, so we don't we don't know. A lot of times it's a tug of war. In the Niners, uh, I guess calling his bluff. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't come to camp, he doesn't get his money. Yeah. And it takes yeah. a rare individual Mac who can walk away from football altogether. Maybe Debo has a few million in the bank, and he might be a free spirit and figure. Oh, I, I want to. I'm just going to retire, chill out, maybe get a job like an ordinary citizen. Money isn't everything to me. I mean, who knows what his attitude is? I agree, Jack. We're going to take our second uh, timeout today, folks. On the other side, hopefully, we have our horse racing guest. We're 0 for 2 today, Jack. It's a good thing we know a lot about sports. I'll tell you well, that. I, I, yeah, wow. I mean, I can't believe it. He, you wow, that they have to come on. I mean, the what's what the Gonzalez is? <laughs> well, okay. we haven't got to the second one yet. What is what the Gonzalez is? I mean, well, come on, we cleared this spot for you. They're well, holding out, Mac. You're not well, offering enough money for our guests to appear. They're holding out for more money. You see, it's a tug of war, and we're gonna give in. You're probably could, gonna give them a better offer to come on the show. I know. You know how I am, Jack. That don't happen. It would not be as good as offers they had now, but we still have a shot. I don't know, Mac. I would That's want you, if I'm a known, I don't, I don't know what I want you as the GM. I think you would just give in to the players' demands. So Jason is due up after this. So we're going to have to take a quick timeout and see if we can get Jason in. Okay. We'll be right back, okay. folks, after these messages. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. You want to be a free bandido like me? You do? Then you must sing the bandido song. Let's sing together. You just follow the bouncing Fritos corn chips bag. Ay, 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 ay. I am the Frito bandido. Hey, I like Fritos corn chips. I love them, I do. I want Fritos corn chips. I'll get them from you. Ay, 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 ay. Oh, I am the Frito bandido. Give me Fritos corn chips and I'll be your friend. The Frito Bandito, you must not offend. Now, boys and girls, you are Frito Bandidos too. You sing the Frito Bandito song and you look for crunchy Fritos corn chips. That's nice. Munch, munch, munchy, munchy Fritos corn chips. We all Cheetos presents Chester Cheetah. I'm Chester Cheetah. I'm just the cool dude. Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. 
Oh, hey, Em, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. Oxygen. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions. And it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. see right now without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, guess it is. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. We are live Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Jack Hirsch. Uh, tomorrow, folks, we'll have our Friday show where we have NFL analyst Byron Williams, TGI Sports Talk Keith Angle, and the <laughs> Philly Sports Guy uh, that will be on the show. They're on the regular every week. Um, and, you know, Jack, a couple more promotions. We are live here on Roku TV and YouTube, the two big slides uh, sites that we're on. Uh, of course, Facebook has always been uh, one of the sites we've been on. Um, there is something I've been working on on the side, Jack, and this is going to be for Roku TV only, and it's going to be called Spotlight New York Giants. I'm going to do a series on uh, the New York, the great uh, players of the past, and some, just of the good ones, ones that people might have forgotten. And I do have a promo for that. And you're very good at history. So I want to see if maybe you can name all the players that are in this promo. Take a look. Why I tell a verse of Jeff Frank Griffith. Sam Huff. Sam Parkinson. Homer Jones. Back, 
Mark Favaro. Eli, oh, come on, Eli Manning. Manning, you're not going that far back in history. Well, I, I went through the history all the way up to, of course, the present, uh, uh, you know, uh, except, you know, this current team that we've had the last few years. But, um, you know, back to Y.A. Tittle, to Rosie Greer. Tittle to Schaffner, to Del Schaffner was the big thing. That was the long right. passing threat. Right. Now, those New York Giant teams, Mac, you know who they kind of reminded me of? The Brooklyn Dodgers. Dodd, Brooklyn Dodgers only had that one championship, that only one World Series win when they beat the Yankees in 1955. The following season, the New York football giants won the NFL championship in 1956. But until many years late, until we got to the Super Bowl era, a giant team hadn't won another championship. And the Giants won a number of championship games, losing twice to the Colts, losing to the Bears. You know, and the Packers. Uh, well, they, they actually, Falcons, they yeah. actually, in 56, they actually beat the Bears. That was the game. They right, won. right, right, right. But they lost 40. in 63, the Packers in 61, 62, right. the Colts in 58, 59. A lot right. of near misses. Right. And I'm going to be talking a lot. The first spotlight uh, uh, show I'm going to have, I'm ready to rock. I just got to, I just got broadcast or record it. And this will be the first. <laughs> A spotlight that I'll have, and I imagine you've noticed who these two guys are. Landry and Lombardi as assistant coaches on the New York Giants. Yes. Oh so, man! Oh man! Oh man! So I that'll be ah oh, what that'll that'll coach, be the first uh, first spotlight show I do. Uh, as soon as they got together the following year, they beat the Bears forty-seven to seven, and of course, of course lost those two games uh, to the Colts, uh, which were. Unbelievable games, both of them, especially the 58 game. Uh, then they moved on. Uh, both of them moved on. Uh, of course, Lombardi going to Packers, Landry going to the Cowboys. I'll talk a little bit about their careers and why that is to me. I mean, you could put the 86 Giants in there, too, with, uh, you know, with with Parcells and uh, Belichick and Coughlin and, and those coaches grow uh, up there with them. But to me, that is the greatest. Coaching. Nice question, Mac. Maybe a debate question. Wow, wow, wow. If you had a chance to have the duo with these two coaches on your staff, Belichick and Parcells, a Lombardi and Landry, which two would you take? I'll take any two. Give me the losers <laughs> out of that group. Uh, I'll take the losers. You pick and I'll take the other two. Exactly. So that's going to be a very uh, – it's only going to be a Roku VOD, uh, video on demand special. I'll, I'll, I'll get it recorded and put it on there, tease everybody with it, and they'll have to go to Roku to check it out. But a lot of investigation, a lot of stuff I did on this. And uh, then I'll start with players, um, you know, going all the way back in the 20s when the Giants first started, all the way back to Connerly and Choo Choo something, whatever his last name was. I, I get to learn a lot of stuff uh, that I didn't know about the Giants. I thought I knew everything about the Giants, but I I don't, I know most about the Giants, but not everything. So it's going to be really interesting. It'll be a lot of fun for me to do and a lot of information if you're a Giants fan. So, um, you know, that's going to be my first spotlight. Lombardi and Landry, the greatest 
staff ever in the history of football. So that's the greatest assistant coaching staff. But then again, the Giants give them competition. You know, I met when Bill Parcells was the head coach. Not only was Bill Belichick a defensive coordinator, but think about who else was on his staff: Tom Coughlin and Sean Payton. Are yeah. you well, kidding Sean me? Payton. Sean Payton was on his staff in Dallas. He wasn't with the Giants. Oh, in Dallas. I'm sorry. Right. So, Dallas. But he did have Al Grohl. He did have right. you know, he Ron had, Earhart. He Ron Earhart. Two great, great coaches. Great I coaches. know. Well, but but you have to look at the level of success right. they've had when they went elsewhere. Belichick became a legendary coach when he left the Giants, went elsewhere for his own position. Tom Coughlin, two-time yeah. Super Bowl winning coach. But you look at Bill Belichick's staff, they haven't been successful no. <clears throat> hardly at all. The most successful one, ironically, has been Brian Flores, and we know his situation right now. So that's kind of up in the air. Yeah, but I mean, we, I, I didn't I didn't want to get into the coaching trees because there's really two coaching trees that stand out. That's Paul Brown. You know, he had Don Shula and he had uh, Chuck Nolan on his tree. Uh, and then you got Parcells with Belichick, uh, Sean Payton, and Tom Coughlin. Those are probably the greatest two coaching trees in NFL history. So I just wanted to go to the staffs and have one, two, this staff at one time on one team. Got a lot of funny things about uh, about the head coach of the Giants at that time who really didn't do too much. He just let these two guys sure. go at it, Tex Ritter. Uh, so we'll be uh, be a lot of fun antidotes. I'll get into the ice bowl, like the the competition between these two coaches when Dallas got really good. You know the two championships they were, and so it should be really really interesting. And folks, we got John Gonzalez, Jason Gonzalez, Jason uh, Gonzalez. Sorry, I keep Johnny Gonzalez. Well, we could, there's a fighter world champion called Johnny Gonzalez. Right, and uh, one of my Jason one of my Gonzalez. one of From my the Louisville Courier Journal. Okay, one of my one of my, favorite, uh, one of my one of my one of my friends, one of my better friends growing up was also Johnny. So I think that's what's messing me up. But Jason Gonzalez is what we're going to call a horse racing expert. He knows a lot about horse racing. He knows all about the Kentucky Derby. We're going to have him on Saturday, folks, 9 a.m. to to talk about the Kentucky Derby, the horses, the odds. Why don't we having him on now, Mac, or what? Yes, I want this as a prelude. I want to introduce. Oh, okay. I want to introduce Jason to the to the folks at home. So without further ado. Let's bring up Jason Gonzalez, folks, and give a little talk to him. How you doing, Jason? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Hey, Thank Jason. You doing great. How are you? So, Elevate yourself a little, Jason. Okay. How's yes. that? Is that better? Yeah, that's yeah, better. Yeah, we want to get that. We marginally. Get, yes, marginally better. We want to get those shoulders and everything in there, Jason. So, yeah. uh, you know, horse racing has been around for centuries, right? I mean, since... Uh, man found out he could ride on the back of horses. There's been some type of co competition, whether it's you know chariot racing or racing on horses, and and all the way back. Um, but horse racing in the United States, maybe England, is huge, right? I mean, they they uh, the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, the Belmont have all gone down as as huge races, especially the Kentucky Derby, um, where from what I understand, the people I've talked to sometimes. Cost up to fifteen thousand dollars a ticket to 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 get in this event to enjoy this event. So, 
I know there's been a, a couple of um, uh, I don't I don't know if you want to call them. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a good word where that horse horse owner supposedly uh, was kind of given his horses a little bit more of a, a boost on the lotion he was using was PEDs or was something that affected them where he's better, where they were a little bit better. I mean, there's a lot of things. Mac, it's not necessarily the owner. It would, that would, that would fall on the hands of the trainer. Trainer, right. The trainer's underneath him though. Right. So, I mean, the trainer's uh, underneath, right. Right. So, so Jason horse racing itself is fascinating to me. It's quick. It's over. I'm not a big, big horse guy, but if it's on, I'll watch it. I mean, if I see it, I'll turn it on and watch it and stay tuned to it. It does captivate me. What do you think uh, uh, in the history of horse racing, a lot of great horses, um, what do you think the, besides gambling, which is huge, what is the big draw with horse racing? The lifestyle component. Horse racing brings an element of fashion. It brings an element of entertainment uh, that the other sports necessarily wouldn't bring. For example, uh, you're not going to see someone in a three-piece suit, a three-piece plaid suit wearing a fedora at the Super Bowl or the World Series. And it's something that's just short and sweet to the point. Um, Maybe the memories last a little bit longer. And it's it's a fun thing to do, and you know it's great to come out with the with your family and whatnot, and you know it's just one of those just one of those things that you could associate a lifestyle component to, more so than like the other sports, if that makes any sense. Now, Jason, you're a fairly new resident of Louisville, Kentucky. You just, you know. Just got hired by the Louisville Courier Journal, one of the legendary newspapers, actually, in the United States. And you're located near the Kentucky Derby track, so you could see everything going on. Now, a big question. If you go shopping, is there enough of the chicken and ribs still there this week? Yeah, I would would think so. After making the, uh, the quick stop at Kroger's, this week, I see a lot of people were purchasing uh, chicken and ribs, and they're going to be setting up these like cool little food stations yeah. and like you know parking their food trucks, and they're gonna be you know they're gonna be street they're gonna be street vending, they're gonna be selling their you know their homemade special secret recipe barbecue ribs and barbecue chicken. So if I'm if I'm not able to pick up some stuff at Kroger's, I'm sure I'll be able to buy some at awesome. the corner. I'm confident. Awesome. I'm confident about that. That's awesome. Uh Jason, now you know even in the history of, of horse racing, there are there are big names out there, right? You can go back to Man of War and Seabiscuit, uh the the, the the competition these great horses had, Secretariat I mean, there are certain horses that just stand out. Um, what What do you think, who, who, if you had to pick a horse all time that was probably the greatest horse that raced, who would it be and why? It, it, it's interesting. I know the common response would be a triple crown winner. Like Amer- in my lifetime, I saw American Pharaoh. I right. saw Justify. I actually covered Justify at the Belmont. Uh, but I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to say the best horse that I saw was Smarty Jones back in 2004. 
And Smarty Jones dominated the Derby, dominated the Preakness, and fell a little short of winning the Triple Crown. He came in a close second at the Belmont. And uh, what had happened was Jerry Bailey, who was riding Birdstone, kind of trapped Smarty Jones against the rail. And it was kind of hard for Smarty to, you know, to pick up the pace and get in front of the pack. And still, he finished in second place. There was just something just magnificent about the horse. The horse had a lot of personality. Yeah, he would drink a, a a Guinness beer every so often at the at the stable, and just seeing his gracefulness, watching how he just trotted on the track was just a thing of beauty. And most of the time, he wasn't even running hard. And one of the indicators that a horse is running hard is when his ears flap down. Most of the time, Smarty Jones is running with his ears erect, and it was just a a, a thing of beauty to see. So in my time, the best horse that I saw was Smarty Jones. How come in generally horses have their moments of big year, but they don't have careers the way athletes would? Well, he, he, here's the thing. Uh, like everything else in life, it's horse racing is a business, you know? And sometimes when a horse wins a couple of big races, uh, you want to retire the the Philly or retire the the Colt so you can use them for to to for studying purposes and and whatnot and yeah I'm so sorry about that and it's one of those things where um, you can't say that the horse is is not an athlete it has athletic ability yeah. but it's not an athlete because yeah. it's not a human being right I, I, so, yeah yeah right so from, from a financial from a financial standpoint it's beneficial for the owners to put the horses to retire the horses and put them out to stud and when when you look at the when you think about the lifespan of a horse they only live for about 25 30 years so you want to take advantage of you know the first three four years of the horse's life where they're at their peak, and you know they they do the best that that they possibly could, and the the jockeys and the trainers get the best out of them. Now PEDs could be an issue with horses. Could it help a jockey's performance if they took PEDs? I I would think not, but could it? It, it depending on depending on what the performance enhancing drug it depending on what the performance enhancing drug is it it definitely can because you're you're talking about a, a someone that's riding a fifteen to two thousand pound animal and they're going at about forty miles an hour so you got to hold it back and whatnot you got to know when to let it go so there definitely is some type of strength component to that. And then also, like boxers, Jack, I know you're a big boxing guy, jockeys have to make weight. So there are certain PEDs that are banned that some jockeys have taken in the mm -hmm. past that they use as a diuretic to cut weight. So yeah, there is a, a, a an advantage standpoint for your jockeys uh, but why do jockeys have to make weight? Why is it anyone's business? Obviously, the owners aren't going to want a jockey that's going to slow the horse down if they're carrying too much weight. So why is it fair to make the jockeys make weight? 
Well, that's a part. That's a part of their of their designated uh, responsibility. It's a part of their job description. Uh, a jockey has to be under 110 pounds because here's the thing: it's not just the jockey. You have the saddle, you have the stirrups, and those things add additional weight. You're not going to have someone. Obviously, this is a hyperbole, like Shaquille O'Neal sitting on a horse. That's going to slow the <laughs> no, horse. Well, that, yeah, right. <laughs> imagine that. But yes. there is there is a weight requirement that jockeys have to adhere to, and it's under 110 pounds, mm -hmm. and it's for the benefit of the horse, yeah. so that the, it doesn't slow the horse down. And then take into consideration all the other components: the saddle, the stirrups, and whatnot, which which are heavy. So, so, I mean, you know, you got certain jockeys that are very, you know, very famous and that are used a lot in big races. Um, what is the difference? I mean, listen, if you're a jockey, you get to know the horse, you'll know the horse, you know, needs to be slapped more or doesn't need to be slapped so much or, or needs to be tightly uh, held in certain things and doesn't, I mean, is, does this, is what this, does this, what the owners are, are looking for it and a, and a great jockey. I mean, I know, like I said, I know there are certain jockeys that are famous that are, that have rode rode in a lot of big races and that are favorites to ride horses. I mean, what's what's the difference, Jason, between say a, a, a younger guy that may not have as much experience, but maybe a little bit more tougher than an older guy that has a little more experience? Is it just getting to know the horse, being one with the horse, or is there a little bit more to it than that? It's it's definitely being it's being one with the horse for sure, but I think in that scenario that you just proposed, I'm gonna say experience would win every time because there's just certain nuances that an experienced jockey would be familiar with and would know how to handle it. Uh, for example, knowing how your horse runs in the rain if the track is muddy. Is the horse able to get in front as opposed to staying at the back of the race where he would have to be dealing with mud being kicked mm. in its face mm. and whatnot, knowing how the horse is going to run? Because you have different tracks. You have dirt and you have grass. Uh, yeah, I think experience is going to win every single time uh, based on that scenario that you proposed. So, and of course, getting to know getting to know the horse as well. So there's not a lot of female jockeys in horse racing as of as of yet. I know there's one. I think I, I remember that ran and won a race. Um, is is it because is it just because of the old uh, the old rules where guys are the jockeys? Do you think the males have a little bit of a maybe a biological uh, um, you know advantage being a little bit stronger at that weight and height? Or do you think it's just something that's going to happen and it's going to explode? I, I don't. Well, the, for, for starters, I don't necessarily think there's a rule that says women, females aren't allowed to be to be jockeys. I, I, mean, I think I mean, Jason, I mean, unspoken rule, you know, not something um, written down, you know, something right, like right. old timers rule. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't necessarily I, I don't necessarily think um yeah, you know, I think it's it's a it's a good question. I think with time, you'll eventually see uh, more 
female jockeys, but what is that going to equate to? Can we associate a number so that we don't know what that's going to look like? Um, yeah, I, I want to say particularly that they're just certain, I, you know, I'd hate to say that the horse racing industry is sexist, but it is a male dominated industry. It's just one of those things. In fact, going to the horses, you don't even see a lot of female horses that are that are running. Most of the horses that that run are, are males. I, I I just think with you know with with time you may see more, but I don't necessarily think that that's a, a domain like this is like a niche sport. So I want to say maybe the women that you see are are women that were exposed to horse racing. Like it'd be hard for me to see a woman that was born and raised in, I don't know, in Los Angeles, California, that would go on and go into, into horse racing. I think this is something that you that you grow up in, you're exposed to, and then you just take advantage of. But yeah, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, you don't see many women jockeys, but, you know. Jason, does, uh, you make a good point. Does a male horse have a genetic physical advantage over female horse? Is a male horse going to be more powerful, be able to move quicker? That's that's a great question. I think that's uh that's a question we can forward to Dr. William Farmer. Uh I think we <laughs> yeah, the, the vet, yeah. <laughs> uh that that would be hard for me to to answer because that's you know that's gonna require a a res, you know a response from a scientific uh from a scientific perspective and well, we I, I mean I, we could say I'm with human beings men can run faster the world class male sprinters are obviously much quicker than the world class female sprinters that's what i'm talking about on the world class level would you say okay in compar compa in comparison to what are you saying that uh, men runners are better at long distances as opposed to sprinting, or do women? Well, can during women the course of the race, like horse racing, I'll say during the course of match, Rafael Nadal would beat Serena Williams every time out. But even though I could say Serena Williams is the greatest tennis player of all time, she's not going to beat Rafael Nadal head-to-head -head competition. Um, I, I mean, if we could go back and look at the tapes, I'm sure there's probably some instances that we can use as evidence where you say maybe the female horses were better in shorter races, like, yeah, uh, uh, like a, six, a six or seven furlong race as opposed to a mile and a quarter. There or or a mile, a mile and a half. There has However, about 13 years ago, uh, Rags to Riches won the Belmont that. Stakes in 2007, and the Belmont Stakes is the longest of the three Triple Crown races. Right. It's a mile and a half. And right. she was like the first filly in like 107 right. years to win the Belmont. So, right. I mean, there are these rare occasions. Right. I was just going to say that, Jason. I was just going to say the filly did win it once, at least. Um, another question for you, and of course, this is a little controversial, but you know, whenever you have animals doing anything, you have the animal rights activists all up in arms. And, you know, to me, this is this is 
you're not hurting the horse per se. You may be a little bit more stressful than a horse that just kind of is a family horse and you ride around or does some kind of thing for the family. Uh, but of course, you always have the animal activists saying you're hurting a horse and you're and you're you know making it do things that you wanted to do. Blah 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 blah. Um, I imagine it does irritate uh, some of the uh, uh, you know the comp comp competition events they have. They are out there. Uh, you know, uh, petitioning and 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 protesting. Um, what are your feelings about that, Jason? I, I listen. I think the horses are 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 doing something they enjoy doing. I really do. I think they like the competition. You can kind of see them looking at each other. They're feeling each other. They they're they're. Well, they're, well Mac, you see the horses looking at one another. Yeah, I, I, I kind of do. They're, they're, there's a, there's there's some credence to what Mac is saying, yeah. Jack. Some of the horses that have been retired, they use them as stable mates for other horses. Now, is it possible that the other horses are communicating and speaking in horse languages to each other? But studies have shown that these stable mates, these stable buddies for other horses have helped other horses perform better because like they're, they're interacting social, you know, they're socializing appropriately with other horses. It calms them down, but yeah, there's, there's definitely some truth to what, to what Mac is saying. Cause I I've seen it and I've been told it's that crazy. they do that with other horses. It's crazy, Jason. A horse is a very, very intelligent animal, very intelligent. I mean, it's sort of like dogs, Dogs are very intelligent. They love being together or they are very competitive with each other, right? And I think horses are, are, are almost the same way where I think they know when they match up against somebody, like say say back in the day, Seabiscuit, Man of, Man, of, Man of War was a heck of a competition. Sometimes Seabiscuit would beat him. Sometimes Man of War would beat him. But they knew, according to the people around these two horses, they knew that they were gonna, they were competing with each other, and they knew it was for everything. It's like the horses knew this, not just the people around them. It was really interesting. This little thing I watched on how competitive horses are with each other when they race, and how they do kind of communicate. They know who's faster than who, and it's just weird. It's really weird horse racing itself, especially with animals, uh, you know, that intelligent. Well, Mac. In all fairness, the animal rights people have a legitimate beef. Right. They're, they aren't necessarily complaining about the fact that the horses are running. Like you alluded to, it's an innate thing. It's in a horse's DNA to just run. You see it in the commercial, in the Budweiser commercials with the Clydesdale and whatnot. They're, they're running. You, you can see Broncos when they're out in the wild. What are they doing? They're running, right? I their their gripe their argument is the abuse from the performance enhancing drugs you know standpoint a, a horse isn't going to inject itself with steroids right, right someone right. has to do that for them right. and it's not necessarily the fact that they're hitting the horse with with the whip which uh, is a little overrated. That doesn't necessarily. I want to talk about that. The whip is the whip out. Lord, how much you can you hit the horse? I mean, no. to what extent? And, and 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 that's that's a little overrated because that's not hurting the horse, and that's been proven. And where they're 
and, and technically, the, it may look like they're slapping them on television. They're really tapping him. They're giving him a tap like that, and they're hitting him on the on the back hind leg, which is a command. It's like a nonverbal command for the horse to pick up the pace. But going back to PETA, there were some really, really egregious things uh, that were happening in the horse racing industry. There was a yeah. racetrack in West Virginia, and HBO Real Sports exposed this. Bernard Goldberg did the story where they were taking horses that were losing and just sending them to the slaughterhouse. Horse is a big delicacy in Europe. Right. Um, the situation moving forward, the situation in Santa Anita in California, where, where like over the course of five years, 232 training and race horses died. And they were dying from, from poor, you know, from, from poor uh, nutrition. They were dying from just poor work conditions. They had them working, uh, running, they were running the horses on these really hard tracks. They weren't using like the, the dirt softener and whatnot. So, you know, over the course of five years, you have 232 training and racehorses that die. They're having, you know, heart attacks. They're having broken, you know, uh, broken limbs. And because a horse is such a big animal, it can't survive on three limbs. Sure. Nine out of 10 times when a horse breaks its limb, you have to euthanize it. Right. So, you know, going back to the point you originally made, uh, the animal rights people had a legitimate, they had a legitimate beef to, to voice their opinion. And I want to say within the past couple of years, uh, you know, things have gotten a little bit better. Uh, case in point, why Churchill Downs, uh, the racetrack where the Kentucky Derby is held, would hire someone like a Dr. William Farmer. That's a great to point. To keep, keep an even playing field and to make sure things are safe. But not everything is perfect because, you know, not to throw Dr. William Farmer under the bus, but he was there in 20, uh, uh, last year, in 2021, when Medina Spirit uh, won the Derby and Medina Spirit had tested positive for a performance-enhancing drug and a few months later dies. You know, Medina those Spirit, are, Medina those, Spirit uh, died of a heart attack. Uh, a sudden, uh, it was a sudden thing. It was very surprising. That's great points. Great points you made, Jason, as far as uh, uh, the animal activists, because a lot of people just say they're 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 lunatics. But great, great, great points you made. Uh, Jason, we got to let you go. Uh, we'll have you back on Saturday, uh, 9 a.m., just to talk about the Kentucky Derby. I want to hear who you're picking, who you think's going to win, and then I will call the uh, the person I need to talk to and and see see what we can do with that. But Jason, I want to really thank you for coming in. I mean, uh, this is something buddy. me and Jack really don't cover at all on our sports show, and it's great to have somebody with your knowledge coming in and sharing your knowledge. And we can't wait to have you here Saturday uh, at nine a.m. Thanks for coming in, Jason. And by the way, congratulations too. <laughs> thank, thank you, my. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jason became a father, you know what, like a week ago. So give my best to Chad. Yes. Absolutely, Chad. Chad says hello. And just real quick, Mac, don't worry about calling me John. I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> well, oh, me too. By me. By me. <laughs> yeah. He said it. He said it, not me. 
Okay, Jason. Thanks for coming Thank in. Thank you so we'll, much. It was we'll a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. See you Saturday. So there you go, folks. Jason Gonzalez uh, will be with us Saturday. It was a pleasure having him on, Jack. Thanks for getting, getting a hold of him and, and getting him on here because, again, something we don't cover and something that, uh, you know, I'm intrigued by when it's on. I'm I'm watching. I don't I mean, know. Why. That means like we talk about franchises, like if a city lost a team, what it would mean to them. Think of what the Kentucky oh, Derby yeah. means for them. You know, Kentucky, the Louisville area. I mean, it, it's like a big festive party. It's like it's their Super Bowl every yeah. year, like coming yeah. to town. Yeah, I agree 100 percent, Jack. I didn't know how much until I talked to a couple of people that went there and that planned on going there and just we're amazed at, at, at what it takes and what it costs. Folks, yeah. we gotta get out. We gotta get out of here for today. We'll be back tomorrow, Friday edition, 8 to 10 a.m. with some great guests. Uh, you have a great Thursday. We'll see you Friday for our Friday edition Saturday debate show and Sunday with our this week in sports, Mac Jack and Jim. So have a great Thursday, folks. Thanks for coming in and have a great Thursday night.